Welcome to Hanchuk Targets History. I'm your host, Tim Hanchuk. Thanks for joining me this episode. You know, I've been teaching high school history for way too many years, and I love talking about this stuff. So let me share with you some interesting, unique, and little-known historical events. I know you'll be entertained, and if you're not careful, you just might learn something too. So, let's lock and load and take a shot at that target of history and see what we can hit. Well, let's take a walk down range and see what the target shows us. Ah, looks like today we'll be talking about the Battle of Adwa. You've never heard of it? Well, if you went to school in America, probably not. And that's not a knock on our education system. I'm a teacher, remember? No, I'm guessing you didn't hear about this battle specifically in school. But I can almost guarantee you that its consequences were mentioned in passing. Let's see what's going on here. By the end of the 19th century, the imperialist powers of Europe have carved up Africa into many little colonies, into many little pieces. In 1884-85, the European powers hold the Berlin Conference, where they agree on how they're going to regulate imperialism in Africa to make it even easier to take over territories. And by this time, there are only two nations in the entire continent of Africa that still maintain their independence. One is Liberia. Liberia had originally been a protectorate of the United States. By this time, it was independent. But the European powers didn't really see it that way. They still saw the United States as having some kind of business in Liberia. So hey, they didn't want to mess with it, mess with the U.S., so they stayed away. The other is the ancient Christian kingdom of Ethiopia. And that's where our story begins. The ruler of Ethiopia at this time is King Menelik II. And he was a very shrewd politician. He knew how to play the politics game, and he wheeled and dealed with the European powers to try to maintain his country's independence. And the big thing he's going to do in 1889 is sign a treaty with Italy. This is the Treaty of Wuchali. Now, the deal is this. Ethiopia agrees to give some provinces to Italy, including parts of the Tigray province. In return for this land, Italy promises to leave Menelik II alone, that he can continue to rule the country. On top of this, they'll provide financial assistance if he wants it, and they'll sell him military supplies. A problem comes up, however. There's a big dispute over the various versions of the treaty. One version for Italy was in Italian. The Ethiopian version was in their language, Amharic. And the big dispute comes up over Article 17 specifically. In the Italian version of the treaty, Article 17 says that Menelik II has to conduct all foreign affairs through Italian authorities. What does that mean? That means Ethiopia would be a protectorate of the Kingdom of Italy. In the Amharic version that Ethiopia was following, it said the emperor could use the good offices of Italy in his relations with foreign nations if he wished. That's certainly a big difference in the two versions. And after some arguing between the two countries, 
the Italian government decides they're going to force a military solution. They'll use force to make Italy follow the Italian version of the treaty. And as a result of this, Italy and Ethiopia go to war. This is called the First Italo-Ethiopian War. Many sources list the years for this war as 1895 to 96, but in reality, the war got rolling in December of 1894. During that month, an Ethiopian named Baha Hagos led a rebellion against the Italians in Eritrea. At this time, Eritrea was a colony controlled by Italy. The Italian commander in this area was General Baratieri, and his army crushes the rebellion, and Bata is executed. This is what kicks off the war, and by January, the Italian army has pushed their way into Ethiopia. They've occupied the entire Tigray province, including its provincial capital, the city of Adwa. Ethiopia begins rushing troops northward to face the Italians, and later that month, the two armies square off at the Battle of Kotit. The Italians win this battle and force the Ethiopians to retreat into the south. The attacks continue throughout 1895, and by December, Italian forces have advanced deep into Ethiopian territory. On the 7th of December, however, the tide turns. A large Ethiopian group runs across a smaller Italian unit, and we have the Battle of Amba Alaji, and the Ethiopians pound the Italians and force them to withdraw, and the entire army withdraws again to the Tigray province, and by this time, the Ethiopians have brought their main forces up, and so basically what we have as we roll into February of 1896 is the two main armies facing each other in Tigray province near the town of Adwa. By late February, supplies were running low on both sides. Baratieri and the Italians had a rather tenuous supply train that was struggling to keep them completely fed and supplied. Baratieri also knew that the Ethiopian forces were totally living off the land. They were relying on peasants to help feed them and supply them. And Baratieri believes that if he would just wait for a few more weeks, Menelik will be forced to withdraw his army simply because they have no food. The Italian government, though, is getting quite impatient with Baratieri. He wasn't a very good general, and they're unhappy with his performance so far, and they say, you can't sit there for some more weeks and wait. You have to act. On the evening of the 29th of February, yes, 1896 was a leap year, but on the 29th of February, Baratieri, who knows he's about to be replaced, his replacement just hasn't gotten there yet, he calls a meeting with his other generals, and he wants to talk about their next steps. He starts talking about how poorly their supplies are, how low their provisions are. He thinks they only have enough to last them for about five days, and his suggestion to his fellow officers is that they retreat, maybe even all the way back to Eritrea. Now, his subordinate officers are furious at this. They're like, what are you talking about? we got to attack these guys now. If we retreat, it's just going to totally break the troops' morale. Baratieri drags his heels, and he waits into the night 
before he finally makes a decision. In the end, he says, all right, we'll attack next morning. And somewhere around midnight, his troops begin to move into positions for the battle. At this point, let's look at the order of battle of these two armies that were facing each other. For Italy, Baratieri had four brigades of troops, somewhere in the neighborhood of 18,000 or so, and 50-some pieces of artillery. Now, of those close to 18,000 troops, only about eh, 14, 15,000 were actual combat troops. The rest were in supporting roles. He had four brigades, as I said, one under General Albertone, and that was made up of Eritrean Ascari, native Eritreans who were seen as traitors by Ethiopia because they were totally supporting Italy. The remaining three brigades were Italian units under the command of Generals Depormita, Elena, and Aramandi. The Italians really had some problems. Their maps of the area were completely inadequate. They had very poor communication. This area of Ethiopia is incredibly rocky and the soldiers were issued rather inferior boots. And on top of this, most of the Italian soldiers had an older model rifle. The newer Carcano Model 91 rifle was available, but Baratieri decided not to have them issued because he had a whole mess of cartridges for the old rifles and he wanted to use them up first. Dude, really? Meanwhile, what's Ethiopia bringing to the fight? Well, their numbers are a little more vague, and that's because this army was, was quickly raised and thrown together by Menelik to try to deal with this Italian invasion. So numbers are all over the place. Here are some approximations, though. We have about 70,000 troops with modern rifles, another 20,000 spearmen, somewhere in the neighborhood of 6,000 or 6,500 cavalry, and 40-some pieces of artillery. There's some debate over where they got this artillery from. Some sources claim the artillery was purchased from Russia. Others say it was purchased from France. Regardless, they had 40-some pieces. The forces are divided among Emperor Menelik, the Empress Taitu Betul, who was his Empress consort, and the other Ethiopian generals. Now, here's the thing the Italians don't know. Menelik knew his troops were exhausted and he knew his supplies were almost out. He actually had planned to break camp and head home on the 2nd of March, the day after this planned Italian attack. On the morning of March 1st, Menelik and his generals rise early for a church service. They're members of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church when Ethiopian spies bring them news that the Italian forces are advancing. The emperor summoned his generals, called together his nobles, and along with the empress, ordered his forces forward into battle. The Italian plan of battle called for the initial attack taking place with three of their brigades, the fourth being held in reserve. These three brigades would march in three parallel columns and their aiming points were the crests of three mountains. Albertone's brigade is going to be on the far left. He will set the pace for the other brigades so they can move in step. He's to position himself on the summit 
of a, a mountain known as Kadein Mehret. Obviously, the plan here is for Italy to have the high ground and meet the Ethiopians in battle. Of course, during the night, again, this is rough terrain, and with their poor maps, the Italians got lost, brigades became separated, they don't know where they are. Albertone sees a mountain, he thinks it's Kadein Mehret, and he starts moving toward it. One of his scouts says, oh no, wait, that's not the right mountain. So Albertone has to change direction and start going the other way, and this takes him right into the Ethiopian positions. The Ethiopian forces had positioned themselves on the hills overlooking the Adwa Valley. They hold the high ground, and they are in just a perfect spot to engage the Italians. The Italians are going to find themselves in a devastating crossfire. Albertoni's brigade is obviously the first to encounter the Ethiopians, and this happens about 6 in the morning. Albertoni's guys are way outnumbered, but remember, they're the Ascaris, the guys from Eritrea, and they know the Ethiopians hate them, so they're going to fight savagely. And fighting goes on for about two hours until Albertone is captured himself. And then Ethiopia starts applying more and more pressure, and the brigade has to retreat. They go looking for the middle brigade, Aramandi. Now, Aramandi's brigade, meanwhile, is actually doing well fighting against the Ethiopians. The Ethiopians are mounting numerous charges against the Italian line for about three hours and they don't seem to be doing well until about nine o'clock in the morning Menelik releases his reserve somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 25,000 troops he had held back and this totally overruns the Italians more Italian companies arrive at the same moment but they're no help they're cut to pieces as well meanwhile Debermitta's brigade was trying to get to Albertoni to support him, but they couldn't reach him in time. So they're cut off from the rest of the Italian army. So Debermitta begins a fighting retreat trying to work back to friendly positions. But again, rough terrain, poor maps. He marches his brigade into this narrow valley where the Ethiopian cavalry are turned loose on him and the brigade is slaughtered. The Ethiopian cavalry rode shouting, reap, reap. What's left of the Italian army, under Baratieri himself, become outflanked and they are destroyed piece by piece on the slopes of Mount Bella. By noon, the battle is over. The survivors of the Italian army are in full retreat. The Ethiopians will continue their pursuit for nine miles until like late in the afternoon. And after that, local peasants are going to continue pursuing the Italians throughout the night. This is a huge victory for Menelik and the Ethiopian army. What's the aftermath here? Italy suffered somewhere around 6,000 killed and 1,500 wounded. Remember, that's out of like around 18,000 troops. That's over a third. They also lose 3,000 men taken prisoner. On top of this, Italy leaves behind all their artillery, they lose over 11,000 rifles, and most of their transport wagons. The Ethiopian losses in the battle, the estimates say maybe four to 5,000 killed 
and maybe 8,000 wounded. But again, this is a huge, huge victory for Menelik in Ethiopia. Baratieri was relieved of his command. He was actually court-martialed for preparing an inexcusable plan of attack and for abandoning his troops in the field. He's acquitted of these charges, but he's described by the court-martial judges as being entirely unfit for his command. And as I said, he totally is relieved of command. The public opinion in Italy, when news of this battle reached them, the Italians were outraged. There were street demonstrations in most major cities. The Italian Prime Minister, Crispi, resigned on the 9th of March. That's how badly this shakes Italy. Now you have to ask yourself, why didn't Menelik follow up? Because he decided not to. Why didn't he follow up? Why didn't he try to drive the routed Italians totally out of not just Ethiopia, but Eritrea as well? Well, again, Menelik is a shrewd politician. He's a, a smart thinker. He realizes that trying to completely drive out Italy from one of their neighboring colonies might start a huge war that would certainly not be in his best interest. Instead, he limits his demands to Italy to pretty much just the abrogation of the Treaty of Wachali. His main goal here is to preserve Ethiopian independence, which he does. On top of this, why else didn't he try to follow up this victory? Well, Ethiopia was just emerging from a long famine. Remember, his army had been in the field. They were short of rations. He was going to leave the next day if the battle hadn't happened. He also has a shortage of cavalry horses, which with to pursue the fleeing Italians. Remember, he only had about 6,600 cavalry at the battle. And with losses, he has even less than that. He doesn't think it's enough. Italy is forced to sign the Treaty of Addis Ababa, recognizing Ethiopia as an independent state and staying, they will stay out of their business. What's the significance of this battle? This is what your high school teacher probably told you. They probably said, Ethiopia maintained their independence because they fought Italy and won. That's probably what they said. This is a very significant battle, though, for the Ethiopians. Ethiopian historian Bahru Zudi says this, and I'm quoting here, Few events in the modern period have brought Ethiopia to the attention of the world, as has the victory at Adwa. Ethiopia is special in the eyes of the other colonies and places in Africa at this time. They're the only African state to not only survive European imperialism, but they defeated one of the European powers in open battle. And it wasn't even close. Defeating Italy and ensuring the recognition of their sovereignty. These become rallying points for later African nationalists during their struggle for decolonization in the 1900s, as well as activists and leaders of the Pan-African movement. As for the significance for Italy, the Italians want revenge. They've been humiliated at Adwa. They're going to look for revenge, and they say revenge is always sweetest served cold. It'll be almost 40 years later that they seek this revenge. On the 3rd of October, 1935, Italy 
attacks Ethiopia in the second Italo-Ethiopian War. This, of course, is led by Benito Mussolini. This time, the Italians have much superior technology. They have tanks, they have aircraft, they have chemical warfare. Ooh, that's not cool. And Ethiopia is defeated by May of 1936. So Italy does see a measure of revenge. As a matter of fact, when Italian troops occupy Addis Ababa in May of 36, Mussolini said, and I'm going to give you the English translation, Adwa has been avenged. Italy's going to go on to occupy Ethiopia for five years, all the way till 1941, until they're driven out during World War II by British troops and Ethiopian guerrillas. But that's a story for another time. We're concerned with the victory of Adwa. And to this day, it's a public holiday in Ethiopia. Schools, banks, post offices, government offices are closed that day. And there are all sorts of public celebrations. Happy time for them. And there you have it, kind listeners. Thanks for tuning in. And I look forward to talking with you again in our next episode.